All I can ask is the viewers to share this. Tell your friends, I know this is long. This is, this is a five hour long panel. And we didn't even scratch the surface of what we need to discuss. This shouldn't have been necessary. As our information grew, as we became better and better educated, less ignorant about the coronavirus, COVID, the COVID vaccines, this, this, should, this should have been made public every step along the way, but it wasn't. So again, I'm, I'm just asking the viewing public to have an open mind, respect these individuals who have paid a significant price, professionally, reputationally. How many of you in this room, recognizing there are doctors, there are PhDs, there are attorneys, media experts, other scientists, public citizens, how many of you personally have witnessed censorship, intimidation, or professional reprisal and damage as a result of your advocacy for patients. I want this to be recorded. That is 80% of this room have experienced something negative in their life in trying to promote and help compassionately something positive for patients suffering with a potentially fatal illness. I'd like to start really quick with a story. So a uh, high-risk individual approaches me, uh, 50 years old, obese, type 1 diabetic, calls me, I have COVID. This is about a year ago. What do I do? Help, help. I'm going to the ER. My oxygen's 86. I have excruciating pain in my lungs. So I said, you're going to the pharmacy. Don't go to the ER. I called in some early treatment medications of the drugs which shall not be named. And said individual calls me uh, a couple hours later and says, you know that excruciating 9 out of 10 lung pain? It's now 2 out of 10, 6 hours later. Well, I know the mechanisms of the medication I prescribed. A few hours later, in the next morning, he calls me. He says, you know that oxygen saturation of 86, it's now 98%. I said, isn't that fantastic? Early treatment works. That individual is my brother. I am my brother's keeper. This warning says, FDA cautions against the use of hydroxychloroquine in outpatients outside of the hospital setting. But then, in the justification, it says, we base this on information to treat hospitalized patients. Hospital disease, as we'll hear, and as we know from two years of dealing with COVID, is a, is a completely different illness treated with different drugs, different medications in the hospital. Outpatient disease is flu-like. Hospital disease is a florid pneumonia. <clears throat> and so the fact that the FDA would base recommendations and warnings on hospital disease, which is a totally different disease than outpatient disease, is a fraud. This website is still there today and constitutes a, an outright fraud. Again, I'll, I'll point out there's so much we don't know. I would have liked to have seen a much larger dose of modesty coming out of our federal health officials and the legacy media and, and big tech when it came to, we would, we would be so much better off if, if uh, there was robust debate and discussion. I have to say, I'm going to call it out, and I'm known for this. I call it like I see it. I'm calling attention to the corruption. If you look at these innumerable failed policies, there's only one way to understand them. They are literally written by pharmaceutical companies. 
almost every single policy serves the interest of a pharmaceutical company. However, if you look outside the United States and look around the world, there have been numerous successes. As one of the world experts on ivermectin, let me just talk about some programs which used ivermectin. My colleagues here, as Dr. Rich just pointed out, there are a number of compounds that we've identified that are effective in early treatment. Almost all of them are repurposed or generic. But let me just say a few words about ivermectin and what it's doing around the world. Not in the United States. In the United States, it's a horse dewormer, it's horse paste, and only the illiterate, ignorant, and, and or unvaccinated use it. That medication has been shown to literally solve the pandemic in numerous regions around the world. And as time went on, they were told in no uncertain terms, if you use these dr drugs, you probably will be fired. And nobody had to tell them, they're smart people. You don't have to draw a map. Is why is an ophthalmologist treating? Because patients were languishing at home. And I've treated over 1,600 patients because patients were languishing at home with no treatment for inflammation, with no treatment for respiratory distress, with no treatment for blood clotting. It's absolutely absurd, and I wasn't going to let it happen. And I, and I think, as you see in this room, all of us feel the same. Are African Americans, are they denied early treatment in the community? Well, yes, they are. My dad just died. Right? He died Friday. Couldn't get a test couldn't get monoclonal antibodies. We treated him at home. Unfortunately, we had an oxygen machine that didn't work. So he, his blood saturation went down to the point where he was incoherent. We called EMS. They said, your problem is your oxygen machine doesn't work. They put oxygen on him. He went to 98% saturation. We moved him to the hospital. He recovered all his cognitive functions. He was doing quite well. But he was no longer getting medications that reduce his inflammation. He was no longer getting medications that um, blocked the histamine response. He was no longer getting the medications that he needed, and he was no longer getting, um, uh, you know, um, lung steroids. And uh, he just declined and declined and declined until he passed away on Friday. And I say he passed away from lack of appropriate care. So in the last six months, I've really evolved into a early treatment uh, advocate. I've um, used a combination of medications, and up until recently, I was using monoclonal antibodies, and sadly, we can't get those anymore. Uh, but, and, you know, I've, I just hear so many stories. At first, it was, you know, my, my PCP won't see me. So they came to see me, an ENT. I became the PCP. Uh, now it's people are terrified to go to the hospital. So I'm, I've become the emergency room. <laughs> I'm giving high-dose IV steroids. I'm giving, you know, 25 grams of IV vitamin C. But I am keeping people out of the hospital, and I've kept over 2,000 people out of the hospital. And if you look at current statistics, 20 of those people should be dead, and they're not. <laughs> so, and the turning point for me when I really got angry was uh, a patient that his wife reached out to me, he's trapped in the ICU, a father of six, sheriff's deputy, <sighs> refused to give anything. But you know, these, these hospitals give them low-dose steroids. They give them six milligrams of dexamethasone you know, three times a day. A lot of these hospitals won't even give breathing treatments. It's ridiculous. They won't give them the vitamins. I mean, and so basically she called me in desperation, and I testified. She sued the hospital to try to get her husband the medications he needed. I testified. We won. 
the hospital refused to grant me privileges, even though I have a spotless record. And I was furious. <laughs> That's when it all changed for me, and I became, you know, I became thrust into the public because of Methodist Hospital. But um, it's just, you know, we, I've seen a lot, and I'm angry, and I'm exhausted. I mean, I have one hospital I can send patients to that I feel safe to. Some of those heart-wrenching stories I'm hearing where a loved one's in the hospital, and the, the family's begging the hospital to do more, tr trying to save the person's life. And they're just being told, now you're, you know, your loved one, there's not much hope. You know, get ready for the worst. And they just won't do anything. So the question is, why? Why have cheap, safe, and effective drugs been ignored for the treatment of COVID-19, which could have saved maybe 500,000 lives? And I think Dr. Corey has told us exactly why. I want to talk about medical ethics because I'm concerned that many of our pandemic policies have ignored foundational principles of medical ethics. We effectively abandoned patients that were suffering from other conditions and had other medical needs. The disastrous fruits of this myopia include an unprecedented 40% increase in all-cause mortality among working-age adults, 18 to 64, over the last year, most of which, two-thirds to three-quarters, depending on the state, was not related to COVID. Actuaries tell us that a 10% rise in all-cause mortality is a once-in-200-year disaster. This was a 40% rise. In my opinion, we should not have politicized the public health response to SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. This is a bipartisan issue, and the physicians represented here are truly a bipartisan group. I'm not, although I've been characterized as a right-wing proud boy, uh, I've previously supported um, both uh, President Obama and President Biden's campaigns. But the course of events have forced me to rethink a lot of my positions, and I think that's the case with many of my peers. If I may quote, in May of 1995, Nelson Mandela said, there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. In my opinion, our public policies in managing this have had a particularly strong adverse effect on our children and vaccine mandates for our children are completely unjustified at this point. So my friend called me a week ago. He said, watch this new movie. It's called Don't Look Up. And I told him, listen, I don't need to look at this movie. I've been in this movie for the last two years. We have better treatments, and we should be investing in, in, uh, in research to continue to improve our treatments um, and, and strategies to make sure that we have treatments available everywhere where someone vulnerable especially gets sick. If you put these strategies together, our society can continue to function in a much more healthy way than we have functioned these past two years, uh, while at the same time working to protect older people. Uh, the strategies we followed, basically by ignoring the possibility of early treatment, by not focusing our efforts on the protection of vulnerable populations, and worst of all, these restrictions on, uh, on, uh, on human behavior, on human connection, have wreaked enormous damage, and it's far past time that we stop 
those policies and instead follows, followed an alternate plan. 